Hello, and welcome to a special collaborative episode of 14 Speaks and the Radio DePaul podcast. I'm Adeline Heppold, Editor-in-Chief of 14 East Magazine. And I'm Jenny Holtz. And I'm Dylan Van Sickle. And we are the hosts of the 14 Speaks podcast. The Radio DePaul podcast is produced by Doug Klein, John Cotter, and Amy Doe. In this collaborative podcast, 14 East and the Radio DePaul podcast followed DePaul freshman David Krupa's campaign through election fraud, fraught public forums, ongoing legal investigations, and a call for change political platform that has left some 13-word voters with confusion. First, the man. Who is David Krupa? Why is he running to be the alderman of the 13th Ward? Second, the ward. Where does this story take place? Who lives there? And why does David Krupa refer to it as the most corrupt place in Illinois? Third, the scandal. Why were people going door to door allegedly creating false legal documents? Why are there now multiple investigations into the race for aldermen in the 13th Ward? Fourth, the lawsuit. On January 28th, David Krupa held a press conference and announced to the city of Chicago that he was taking legal action against the Quinn campaign. Fifth, the reaction. What do people actually think of David Krupa? Does he have a shot here? Are voters willing to overlook his past? Number one. The man. Who is David Krupa? Yeah, all right, everybody. Why don't we get started with how we got onto this? David yeah. Krupa's like a DePaul freshman running for alderman or a seat in Chicago politics, and every outlet's going to jump on that. Every DePaul outlet's going to jump on it, and I think it probably stuck out because it seemed like, okay, again, another DePaul student is running for office because we've had a couple running in the last year or two. Uh, we've had Bush Rami Walla, Hadia Afsal, Matthew Roney, all these DePaul students running for elected office because in those other races uh you know they 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 made news made national headlines and uh and then they kind of went off normally this one did not this election did not go normally and we've seen a lot of things come out of that um and so we went to ask him about it all right well why don't we start off just kind of a you know the same awkward questions do at any party so you you're a student at DePaul right yeah yeah I'm <clears throat> currently enrolled in DePaul yeah uh, full-time student I, I would say so yeah okay yeah doing the what's what's your major what do you study I am double majoring in political science and economics political science and economics it's the perfect uh, double major for somebody running for office I think so <laughs> <laughs> and David looks like a pretty typical DePaul freshman he's tall about six feet. He's got a new cut for his red hair, a pair of glasses, and you'll usually see him nowadays in a blue dress shirt and a pair of khakis. You know, the uniform of guys running for office. And um, so do you live in the 13th Ward still, or are you yes. a resident of like, uh, DePaul? Or you don't know what that means. No, no, no. Um, I, I live in the 13th Ward. I can okay. um I'm not sure how that would work if I if I dormed at the Paul and, and yeah I yeah I don't know how that would work I, I think I don't think the laws were ever written for a college student to run for any kind of political position so that would definitely be some uh, something to look into but I, I don't have any intention of dorming anyway so thankfully I don't have to deal with the stress of that wait so David Krupa is 19 years old right what do his parents think about him running for office 
Yeah, we actually went to the Aldermanic Forum where David Krupa was able to speak with constituents for the first time. There we met David Krupa Jr., who's David's father. What was your initial thought when he first told you, I think I'm going to run for office? Told him, don't do it. I told him, don't do it. I said, uh, stick in school. He, um, you got bright future ahead of you. Stick to your plans. I, when my son has his mind set on something, that's it. There's no change in his mind. So it didn't take long before I, I said, I'm gonna fully, I fully back you. I know you'll do great and um, run away with it. Then he got you on board. Yes, yes. Two, the ward. Well, so the 13th ward is a kind of an odd spot. The shape of it, if you look it up, looks very odd. It's kind of twisted around, and there's these two major enclaves, these two major spots that are kind of wrapping around Midway Airport, and they're kind of connected together by just a couple of roads. And according to the city of Chicago, the ward is about 66% Latinx and around 33% white. Um, A lot of them are employed by Midway Airport. And in 2016, the ward voted about 70% in favor of Hillary Clinton and around 25% in favor of Donald Trump. And for David, the 13th Ward is a pretty special place. It's sitting inside Speaker of the House Mike Madigan's 22nd Congressional District. Chicago is the most corrupt place in America for politics. I would say the 22nd District is the most corrupt place in Chicago. And then within that, the 13th Ward is the most corrupt place within the 22nd District. So this is really the epitome of corrupt Uh, political business. Richard J. Daley had a quote once, don't worry if they're Republican or Democrat, give them city services and they'll become a Democrat. There's like an opposite way of thinking here. If you're not just a Democrat, but if you don't publicly support the people that Mike Madigan tells you to support, you don't get anything. You don't get city services. Um, And this goes out if you vote too. If your area doesn't vote, you don't get anything. Uh, So people, they don't get city services when they ask for it, uh, even if they need it. A lot of people, they get tickets on their car for putting up the wrong campaign sign. It's happened to my family. Um, And in case it isn't uh, clear enough already, when David says they, he means Speaker of the House Mike Madigan and Alderman Marty Quinn. Um, I think another thing that they do is they campaign with taxpayer dollars. The way they do that is if you ever see a pick up your dog poop sign on somebody's lawn, it's got Marty Quinn and Mike Madigan's name on there. If you ever see a snowplow that's going down the street or something that's picking up snow on the sidewalk like a snowblower. It's got a campaign sign on it. And Dylan, you took a look at how Mike Madigan was actually helping out with Alderman Quinn's re-election campaign. He is basically more or less single-handedly funding Marty Quinn's campaign. Granted, he's gotten other donations, but he's got, at the end of last year, he had over $270,000 cash on hand. Krupa had a little over five. Well, they're literally also in the same office space. They share the same space together. Exactly. They share an office. And Krupa has played that up so much. I think he says more times, well, Madigan and Quinn are doing this. Madigan and Quinn want that. Madigan and Quinn don't respond to you, the voter. And David Krupa does exactly the same thing that a lot of people do in Illinois. Three, the scandal. Back in 2018, when David wanted to get on the ballot to be alderman, to you know, when when people go to the polls um, next week on on Tuesday and they they vote for alderman for the 13th ward, they will see Marty Quinn and David Krupa. Um, to get his name on the ballot, he has to submit signatures. He has to go around the ward, go door to door, and ask people, "Hi." I'm David Krupa and I'm running for alderman. Will you sign this and support me to get on the ballot? 
um, and he submitted a lot of signatures to get on. Uh, how many did he su- submit? So according to his count, he submitted 1,703, but after the objector's count, it came out to roughly 729. Well, we started on August 28th getting signatures. Um, We were doing a little bit of preparation before that. We knew we had to get 473 signatures to be on the ballot. At least that's what the rules are. Uh, But my lawyer had advised me 2,000 is probably the number we'll want to hit. That was more than four times the amount of signatures. And I was thinking in my head, well, you know, usually two or three times is good, but not when you're dealing with Madigan. So throughout the process, we started to notice that our precinct captain, the one that uh, resides over my precinct, was telling my neighbors, oh, we're going to take off all his signatures. We're going to take them all off. Kid's not getting on the ballot. And I thought, wow, you're, you're already telling people that you're getting rid of all my signatures. And according to David and a couple other people around the ward, Uh, What happened in November and early December of 2018 um, was some people were going door-to-door in Ward 13, and they had these forms. It was the same form that was drawn up, and you would fill in your name, and you would say, hey, my name is blank, I live at blank in Ward 13, and I signed a petition to put David Krupp on on the ballot, and I am revoking that signature now. And they went around and they got a lot of these people to sign these forms. They collected roughly 2,798 revocation forms, uh, removing their signature. And about 187 of those were good, which leaves roughly 2,609 falsified. I told my lawyer about it. We began to try and counter it. We filed... uh, a Freedom of Information Act request to get that information. And had we not done that, we would have never found the election fraud that had happened because they filed all of the falsified affidavits that they had with the Board of Elections, which made it fraud. But the board and and themselves actually only used the good ones um, for their objection, uh, which, you know, they wouldn't, it wouldn't make any sense to use the bad ones. So we probably would have been looking at 187 good revocation forms that probably would have resulted in us being taken off the ballot had we not looked in and found 2,600 bad ones, which we used against them and said, listen, you know, this is total fraud. Um, The way in which they garnered these revocation affidavits and other affidavits was by strong-arming people, uh, lying to them, and uh, they crossed a lot of ethical boundaries to get those. And David is saying, hold on, if I had, you know, a thousand extra signatures just laying around of people who support me, why wouldn't I turn those in? There's no way you can argue that we just chose not to turn in 2,600 signatures because that was the only argument at that point was, oh, well, maybe you just didn't turn in the signatures that we got. I'm pretty sure we would have turned in 2,600 signatures. <laughs> would have been a lot easier than going in with 1,700, but, you know. And this form that they were signing was an affidavit. And if you don't know what an affidavit is, it's a legally binding document that you turn into a court of law And you say the information on this document is true. It holds up in court, and I promise this is true information. And for these people who hadn't signed a petition, who are now signing a different document saying, yes, I did sign a petition, and I take my signature away, that's perjury, and that's a crime. And a lot of them are saying, hold on, I didn't know what I was doing. I was kind of coerced. I was pressured into doing it. And a lot of them went to David 
and told him about it. And, you know, he was saying, look, I have people coming to me who are saying, hey, there's people coming door to door and pressuring me to sign this document. And I don't know what's going on. The people in my neighborhood, it's been the, the system here. You just sign anything that comes to your door, because if you don't, you might not get city services. You uh, might get blacklisted. You might even start getting tickets on your car. I mean, it's really bad. So people, they put out the signs that they give that they give to you. You, you, you sign the things that they give to you and you don't ask any questions. I don't think that a lot of people understood that this was a legal document, um, a binding legal document that unlike a petition, you know, you can actually get in trouble for what you're signing. So it was a lot of um, fear mongering and uninformed people. So we, we went to the Board of Elections and we asked them, hey, you, you must have these revocation forms, these affidavits somewhere here, right? And they, they eventually got them for us. Um, and their, their legal counsel brings down just a massive box full of all these affidavits, all, all bound together in manila folders, and he is very careful about them. He says, now look, this is exactly what we turned over for the investigation, for the lawsuit. This is exactly what we gave to the FBI. What's kind of sticky about it and why it's really important that they stay in order and they stay in this box wrapped in their manila folders is that even though they are public records, they are technically under legal investigation, which would be private. The FBI works like this. They, they don't tell you if they're investigating or not. They just ask you questions. And the fact that they're asking you questions means that they look, they're looking into it. The FBI takes every complaint that they get seriously. Obviously, somebody complained about it or maybe multiple people, um, people that I have I don't even know. So that was cool that somebody did that for me, I guess, but it wasn't like, I, I, I just thought it was interesting that people cared that much that they would go out of their way to do this for me, so I didn't even have to do it myself. Of course, when I was speaking with the agent, uh, like I said, they don't confirm or deny the investigation, and they also just wanted to make, make me aware that they are taking it seriously and looking into it. Sure. And you, probably, you usually don't hear anything until they raid your office. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. And after Madeline and I went document hunting, we found some stuff that, well, we wanted to ask David about. We were down at the, uh, the Board of Elections office uh, the other week, and we were trying to take a look at, you know, all these affidavits that got submitted and everything, and we, we saw that you had actually put in a document request. Um, yes. Yeah, what's, yep. what's the deal with that? Well, uh, actually, the state's attorney uh, and uh, some other people are actually doing an investigation into the notaries that circulated those revocations because it was all fraudulent. All right, real quick, just break down for me what a notary is. Yeah, so if you don't know what a notary is, it's a person licensed by the government to perform acts in legal affairs, basically just like looking over signatures and documents. So what it is is kind of like somebody who is licensed by the government to go there and for any kind of legally binding document, the government trusts this person to say, this is, this is true, this is good, it's legal. And some of the notaries were actually, you could get this, some of the notaries were actually, their, their notary skill, uh, ability was expired at the time that they were even passing these revocations around, according to the state. Really? So, yeah. But if you look at the stamp that they used on the bottom of the revocation, it says that it doesn't expire until after the election, coincidentally. Apparently, and it really doesn't matter what their stamp says. What matters is what the state says. You know, the state records are up to date. Um, but if we can somehow prove that they forged their their stamp, I mean that's that's huge, that's huge trouble. They're in. I mean that's that's such a big crime. Yeah. They're, they're violating notary. They're violating the Illinois notary laws. Um, and then of course there were also notaries. 
that weren't at the door when they notarized them. We have people, specific people, who said that they didn't have a notary at their door. So we're pulling those revocations. I'm basically aiding the investigation. And I have a friend who's helping me search through the documents, trying to find all, because there's like 2,800 of them. So we're, we're looking through the documents. We're trying to aid legal officials into in this investigation. And Cook County sheriffs have also been going door to door, asking people to verify their signatures on, on certain documents and stuff. So it's a serious thing. So there's two legal matters going on now about these petitions and affidavits. Possibly two. We cannot confirm that there is FBI investigation, but what we can confirm is people from the FBI came and visited his office um, and spoke to him about the revocation forms. So there's some legal trouble afoot for David here. Did he decide to do anything about it, take any legal action of his own? Uh, Given his campaign, yes, he did. The media, they liked the story because it it had some substance to it. It wasn't just, you know, a passing fancy where it was, uh, you know, it's here and then it's gone. We've seen quite a bit of that. I think this is actually going to stick around for a little bit. I think that everyone in this room should probably pay attention to the media over the weekend or maybe Monday morning. I think uh, you might see something else as well. But um, if anybody else has any other questions... Where do things stand right now? Like today, January 23rd, is there something that you're waiting for, uh, a file that's waiting to go through or be approved, a a legal challenge or something like that? There's something right underneath your notepad there. Um, It's actually the beginning of a federal lawsuit that I'm filing, um, and it will be filed later this week. One, two, three, now! Four. The lawsuit. David had a press conference, and you went to that. I did. Um, I went to the press conference at his little office. But here we are. I want to present you David Krupa, who is the candidate uh, we trust will be victorious, uh, both in the initial round and then the final round of this election process over the next 30 days. So David, go ahead. With the FBI looking into Alderman Quinn and Speaker Madigan, we are officially announcing a federal lawsuit against Alderman Quinn and the Speaker for their deplorable attempt to interfere with our democracy and engaging in old school Chicago corruption to secure re-election. What he's saying in his federal lawsuit is that Alderman Marty Quinn committed election fraud, committed civil rights violations, and perjured himself, or convinced other people to perjure themselves, perhaps deceptively convinced them to perjure themselves. Well, um, like I said, I I really want people to go on the record for this. Um, I want to get to the deposition stage so that uh, my alderman and uh, Speaker Madigan and some of their precinct workers can kind of account for what happened. Um, I want to know whose idea it was and who told them to carry it out in the way that they did. I think a lot of people in the 13th Ward would like to know that, and I'm really doing this on behalf of on behalf of them. Why would you start a federal lawsuit when you also have a campaign that you have to run? And people asked him that then, didn't they? They they asked him, "What are you hoping to get out of this?" What was his answer? Well, one of the things is, you know, I would have liked to file sooner because I, you know, realistically, you want to file these file these things as soon as possible. They take a very long time to complete. Um, but there was a lot of preparation that had to go into it. Um, of course, I had to come up with quite a bit of my own money. I didn't use PAC money for this. Um, the $5,000 retainer that I had to pay my lawyer in order to move forward, I had to come up with my own dollar, which took some time. It also took some time to gather the evidence, uh, notarized statements, um, 
get a, a witness list and, a, and people for testimonials and um, then filing it all and organizing it just takes a, quite a bit of time. Um, so this was the earliest we could actually get it out. Um, so that was kind of the main reason for doing so. I think it's also important to no- note that like this lawsuit is going to take a really long time to be processed because that's just how the law works. So regardless of whether or not he gets elected, this is going to be something that is going to continue to affect the current establishment. David Krupa, just like his whole campaign, was basically just like, I want to hold people accountable. I want to see change. And if bringing on this lawsuit will actually hold people accountable, then I will start this lawsuit. doesn't matter when. And I will see it through to the end. Yeah. And the next day, uh, when Rahm Emanuel came to visit DePaul University, uh, he was there for an event with student journalists. Um, We asked him, uh, you know, Mayor Emanuel, yesterday, DePaul freshman David Krupa announced a federal lawsuit about election fraud in Ward 13. Uh, What do you think about that? And what Emanuel had to say was very guarded. Well, if it's in court, I'm not going to give you my thoughts uh, uh, on that. Um, But let me say in general, you got an election. Go make your case to the voters. Make your case to the voters. Well, did he? Five. The reaction. So, John, you and I went down to see David Krupa actually conduct a uh, an aldermanic forum, right, where he was meeting with constituents or potential constituents, I guess. Yeah, we drove on down uh, to David Krupa's forum. It was supposed to be at a high school, and then it got moved to a local church. It was definitely a smaller event. I would say about 20 or so people there. And it was basically just David Krupa answering questions that people from the 13th Ward had about his election, his stance on certain topics. Mandate them to go all the way to Harlem. Sure, and I agree with you. Yeah, I agree. 63rd Street is uh, a vitality to not just this ward, but many other wards. Um, I think it, I think what struck me the most about the forum was for all the headlines that this election has gotten, for all the columns that have been written about it, for all the scandal, it, when he actually got to get out there with voters, it was very mundane. And it was exactly like what you would expect uh, any other just town hall meeting to be like. People were concerned about too many cars parked on their streets. People were concerned about their, you know, whether or not there is a committee to take care of this local park. Does that committee exist? And and if it does exist, how can we get them to work? Uh, It was very mundane. So at the forum, did you actually get to talk to some of these voters? Yeah, we did. So one of the first people we talked to was a guy named Carl Willicke. Uh, he, he did a fine job. He represented himself well. You think so? He did, oh, yeah. The job. lady back over here said that, um, you know, she's not a Trump supporter, you know. Well, Thank the fact much. of the matter is he said that this is what oh. he's going to do and he's yeah, going to do it. That's all you expect out of somebody. But that didn't continue throughout all of it because there were a couple points where, where some concerns were raised. And the first one was people... Well, I think David said it best. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I'm glad you asked, because that's the tough question to ask. It's the elephant in the room, right? So back in 2016, there was a picture taken of me wearing a uh, Trump shirt and holding a Hillary for prison sign. Okay. Um, In 2016, I supported political change to the system, just as I do now. I'm going about it a different way, but realistically, change was my number one issue, political change, you know, changing up that corruptness. Since it was my number one issue, I wanted to support it. 
uh, and there was only one candidate that I saw that was supporting that issue. Um, I don't agree with everything the president does, but I don't want to see him fail because if he fails, the country fails. I think that's a very fair stance to take. Um, it's what I truly believe, and you know, I it, it kind of I think it's fear mongering in a way when they take uh, flyers like this and use my picture uh, and say the word racist and crazy to uh, get people to think that I'm some kind of danger to the community. He sort of changed the question in its context and by saying, I want change, I wanted change, instead of saying, I wanted Trump, he never went out fully outright and said, I wanted Trump to be president. He said, I wanted change. After hearing what David had to say about this photo that he describes, we talked to a woman named Rosalba. She felt like he didn't quite answer the question as clearly as he could have. I think with his picture, I think he really needs to set it clear and set his tone clear because it sounds wishy-washy. So, Dylan, you found a Chicago Reader article called Dispatch from Chicago's Trumplandia during the 2016 election. And that was one of Krupa's first press appearances, right? This this article, uh, he describes himself as a day one Trump supporter and helps Trump's law and order politics will shape up both the inner city uh, and his own neighborhood. And he's quoted in saying, stop and frisk is the way to go. And just in case you're not familiar with that term, stop and frisk was a program very popular in New York City in particular, um, where police would temporarily stop, detain, and search uh, people on the street. And it was found to disproportionately target minority groups, and the ACLU last year called it unconstitutional. Since Donald Trump also supports stop and frisk, we wanted to check in with David to see where he stands on the issue today. I don't know if I so much support stop and frisk as, as I did when I was 16, I think there's other ways we can go about reducing the amount of crime and uh, illegal gun flow on the streets. But, um, you know, a lot of people criticized me for that statement saying it was racist. But if you do, if you're if you're somebody walking around and you look like kind of a thug, you probably and you're, you're carrying a gun, you probably do not have the proper identification. I was right with that. Well, can, can I ask me what is what is a thug? look like in, in your mind? What are you picturing when you say that? I could be anyone. I mean, it could, it could, it's like, you just use common sense. I guess I'm just wondering, like, when you, are, are you cautious at all or wondering if when people hear you say something like that, if they think, well, that sounds like racial profiling to me. That sounds like profiling. Um, no, because I, I never mentioned race. But there's more to Krupa's past that has left some voters wary. In 2017, the father of an ex-girlfriend, who was also a minor at the time, filed an order of protection against Krupa, according to Politico. The order of protection states the ex-girlfriend was, quote, afraid David Krupa will continue to physically abuse me, harass me, interfere with my personal liberty, and stalk me, end quote. The order ran for nine months, but ended when neither party could agree on a hearing date. Krupa denies any allegations. But basically, the long and the short of it was, she wasn't, her father felt like she wasn't able to handle a relationship at that time due to personal and family reasons. It was just a bunch of false claims that her dad put on there to um, try and create a story that would warrant an order of protection. 14 East and the Radio DePaul podcast reached out to the family of the ex-girlfriend for comment, but did not receive a response. According to Krupa, the protection order was vacated by a judge, but 14 East and the Radio DePaul podcast could not independently confirm that information. 
With only a few days left until election day, we wanted to check back in with David one last time. How are you feeling right now? You've got you've got a couple days to go until election day. Um, how's David Krupa feel? Well, um, I don't conduct any polls because I think the only poll that matters is on election day. But uh, we're going at it full steam ahead, and uh, I guess all we can do is fight our hardest and, and then wait for the results to come in. Five things you needed to know about DePaul freshman David Krupa. Who he is, where he is, the investigations, the lawsuit, and the controversy. On Tuesday, Krupa's name is on the ballot in Ward 13, alongside incumbent Marty Quinn. It's the first time Quinn's been challenged in almost a quarter of a century. If anyone were to challenge this Goliath of a political machine, it'd be David. This has been 14 Speaks in collaboration with the Radio DePaul podcast. You can find the Radio DePaul podcast on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. This episode was reported, edited, and produced by Doug Klain, John Cotter, and myself, Madeline Happold. Additional contributions from Dylan Van Sickle, Jenny Holtz, and Amy Doe.